Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a part of Gestalt IT. And each episode, we bring you the opinions and analysis of IT luminaries about a variety of technical topics. But rather than just kind of waxing intellectual, we like to focus each episode on a specific idea, or a premise, if you will. I'd like to take a moment to introduce today's guests before we get into the premise of this episode, starting with Ben. Hi, my name is Ben Story, and on the Twitter as at NTWRK80, and you can find my musings on my blog at pack.pack.it.forwarding.com. All right, Jody. Hi, I'm Jody Lemoyne. Uh, I tweet on Twitter at Ghost in the Net, and my web page where I periodically write something semi-useful is at ghostinthenet.info. Hi, I'm Josh Warkop, and I'm on Twitter at Warkop. All right, thank you very all very much for joining us today. Let's dive into today's premise. If you are in networking and you are older than 18, you probably have heard of IPv6. It is the next generation IP protocol. It's beautiful, it's hexadecimally. It has trillions upon trillions of addresses, so many that we could never run out of them. And everything just works better, right? But we're still using IPv4. Why are we still using IPv4? There are hundreds of people that are advocates for IPv6. There is an overwhelming amount of information and evidence that tells us that IPv6 is clearly the superior protocol. And yet, here we are using IPv4, just like we always have been. So the premise of today's episode is that enterprise networking has no need for IPv6. Now, I realize that as soon as I stated that premise, I, I can hear the, the clicky clacky keyboards of the IPv6 advocates out there, many of whom are my friends, firing up to obliterate me in the comments section. Before we get there though, I would like to let our guests kind of develop their ideas behind this. And I'm gonna start with Jody because Jody, when we were talking about this topic, you had brought up the fact that you have deployed a lot of IPv6 to your customer base already. So take it away and tell me why you either support or you know, possibly want to attack that premise? Well, I'm going to go against the premise mostly because there seems to be a habit of referring to enterprise IPv6 as a yes or no thing. It's an on or off thing. And unlike a lot of things in our industry, it's not an on or off thing. Um, the thing about IPv4 and IPv6 that they have in common is that they're largely transparent when they're set up properly. IPv4 we use because it's convenient and we know it. It's There's a lot of knowledge out there. We don't have to have anything special. IPv6, whether we think we're using it or not, we are using and we don't notice it because it's transparent. The problem is when it's transparent and it's automatic, it's not managed. And if you don't manage it, then it's doing whatever it wants to do. And in the enterprise, you can't have that. Why can't you have that? The problem, excuse me, it's like having VLANs with no access control. Um, IPv6 likes its tunneling mechanisms. It likes to get out to places. It likes to go where it wants to go. And if you're not managing the IPv6 network, you don't know where it's going. So one point that I would like to bring up there is that we do have a, a large variety of IPv6 tunneling mechanisms, whether they're Teredo or NAT64 or 
464X Lite. Um, a lot of those were developed not because they were necessary to the operation of the protocol, but they were basically created as band-aids to get around the fact that nobody wanted to deploy V6. So is the tunneling issue actually causing more problems and making people not want to adopt V6? Because we've all heard horror stories about what happens when you enable V6 support and then everything suddenly stops working, or worse yet, you disable it unknowingly realizing that you know your server's using link local addressing to communicate with the back end, and now I'm kind of stuck. So that seems to be a question of, is the person turning that on or off? Do they know what they're doing? And I think that's one of the things that is catching a lot of companies off guard is we're turning on or turning off tunneling or local link or whatever it may be on that protocol stack and really not understanding what it's doing underneath. Uh, and, and so maybe that's that's just an education thing or a learning cycle that uh, folks are going to have to go through and companies are going to have to go through to know what they're doing before you know creating a problem. But okay, so devil's advocate, Josh, um, IPv6 is officially older than all of my children, and it's been around since what 1989 at this point. If you don't know IPv6 and you've been working in networking through most of your career, like I said, if you're under the age over the age of 18 you should at least be familiar with it. Sure. I'm, I'm not even sure it's the networking people that are as much the problem as the application and the server teams that don't understand or know how to use IP6. Um, I know in healthcare, IPv6 isn't even on our radar. And it's mainly because the application vendors still haven't figured out what VLANs are in a lot of cases. So why should we even bother with this newfangled technology? <laughs> Well, I'll go back a step and, and say, um, well, it's not even really going back a step, but the nice thing about V6 is that it's largely automated and it's largely out of the hands of the, of, of the um, application and server support people. It tends to self-discover. Once we have our network advertisements out there, things tend to pick it up. It relies a lot more on DNS than our traditional IPv4 stuff. Sure, we've got the legacy stuff out there that's still going to want to use IPv4, which is why we have the dual stack approach. But we don't necessarily need the server and application people to be aware of it. Not right away, anyway. But the thing that's going to kick them is that more and more IPv4 is being treated as a legacy, uh, sorry, the legacy service, both by service providers and by vendors. So uh, we talked earlier about this, look at Microsoft saying, if you turn off IPv6, don't expect your exchange server to work. That's what they call an unsupported environment because they rely on that too much. Service providers don't wanna manage dual stack. They don't wanna have v6 and v4 in their entire service provider network. So they're running v6 natively and they're running IPv4 as a tunneled service on top of it. It's IPv4 as a service. So what we're gonna see as things go forward is that the performance of that legacy service is going to suffer because it's not the core network. If you want speed, you want performance, you're gonna want v6. It'll work with v4, sure. But will it work as well as it could? Well, you, you mentioned, so you mentioned DNS and therein lies my problem in the healthcare space is our application developers still haven't learned how to use DNS. So how do we implement IPv6 when they're reliant on hard-coded IP addresses everywhere? That's its own separate problem. <laughs> that's, that's, that's getting out of the legacy environment. 
That, but the thing is, it's not an all on and it's not an all off thing. It's like there are always going to be legacy IPv4 services that have to have support. I'm not saying go turn it all off and switch to IPv6 tomorrow, but the fact that we're we're resisting putting IPv6 out there at all is shooting us in the foot slowly. But one of the biggest drivers that we have discussed over the years for staying on IPv4, aside from it just works, is the cost associated with migrating. I mean, when you look at the original IPv6 migration plans, the idea was always to run these two protocols yeah, kind of as ships in the night. And then we would eventually migrate everything over to V6 and everything would work beautifully. And that never happened because the cost associated with implementing IPv6 on networks eclipsed the cost that we knew we had to just continue to operate IPv4. There's one thing we've learned about businesses and organizations over the last, I don't know, we'll just say the last decade. They love predictable operational costs, i.e. cloud, over large expenditures, even if it's better for them in the long run. So that would be your typical CapEx equipment purchases. I don't see that behavior changing inside of an organization anytime soon. So Jody, you quote speed and reliability, and I quote cost and predictability. So where does that change? It changes when they join in the middle. Equipment doesn't usually last forever. There comes a point where you have to write it off. There comes a point where it becomes end of life. There comes a point where you just have to spend the money for the new equipment regardless. And as you said, your children are younger than IPv6. All the new equipment that you buy to replace the old legacy stuff supports it anyway. So where there was a cost 10 years ago, there was a significant cost 10 years ago. I would argue that the cost isn't really there today. Okay, that's fair. There's not a cost in my equipment. Is there a human cost to implement IPv6? Do I have to relearn something? Do I have to figure out what the difference between router advertisements and neighbor discovery is? Where did my broadcast go? I really like broadcast. I would say the people who are managing your network today had better know what that is or they shouldn't be in networking. This is not new news. It's not something that was developed last year. This is something we all should have been learning. This is something that we all knew was going to come up on us sooner or later. And we've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because it's too much. But eventually it's gonna come get us. Eventually we have to learn how to use the internet rather than fax. That's fair. So you've made great um, arguments for service providers and for edge networking, and even for mobile cloud applications. But what about the enterprise? What about my host-to-host -host communications? What about my wireless connectivity? Why should I use IPv6 there? Well, that goes back to what the vendors support. If you're a Microsoft shop, you're using IPv6 already, or you don't have a supported environment. There, there is an interesting balance to be found between you know, what's being said about cost what's being said about equipment replacements. Um, the, the human cost is still going to be there, I think, regardless of protocol that we're running. Uh, to Jody's point, the equipment's going to get replaced. It's going to support it. So maybe not, not a sunk cost in equipment, but people still have to learn it. And that has to take on some either personal time where people are learning it and how to support it, or the company that they're working for is paying them to go and learn it. Um, either way, there's a cost there uh, that, that somebody's having to spend. Uh, do I need to know it? Absolutely. I, I think we're, we've got to get to a point to where we're running it. 
Uh, I think we've got to get to a point of being proactive as network managers, uh, being proactive as network engineers, taking on and adopting and moving things forward. Uh, but as a company, as an enterprise, they're not necessarily going to be proactive in that spend, in that human cost of training employees or teams to go and learn that piece. So there is an interesting balance to be found. The, the tipping point, I don't know what that is right now, but the tipping point may be when things age out, not only from, from equipment aging out, but maybe when there's turnover in staff, maybe a new manager comes in and says, I want IPv6 uh, because that's what I know. Uh, so there, there may be some knowledge turnover that drives an enterprise forward. Yeah, there's a certain amount that pulls us back. Going back to Ben's example, you got developers who are still hard coding IPv4 addresses into their application. Who's going to be the person who tells them, hey, you can't do that? Me. Well, and, I, I want to be that person. Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> and if you, if you are that person, how do you justify the cost associated with making that decision to the business? Because, you know, it's not just a matter of, okay, we're going to start implementing IP6. It's, okay, what's the cost of, like, like Josh said, training, but what's the cost of changing our applications or, any, you know, obviously we don't have to do that all in one big bang, but somebody has got a budget for it. And this isn't something that's sexy, that's going to bubble up to the top of the budget. This is something that's going to be the cash cow that gets sacrificed every time we need a new budget item. Yep, it goes back to what's the business case for IPv6 and the immediate response to what's the business case? Well, the internet is the business case. You know, eventually we're going to come to a point where we actually do need v6 for stuff. And if we don't have it and we never thought of doing it, then the person who comes along who says we need it now is going to cause you to build it right now. And that's not the way you want to build it out. But at the same time, one of the reasons why enterprises have been so lax to implement it is because there hasn't been a killer use case for it. Now, we, we've talked all the time about how it's superior and how it's faster and how it's more reliable and how it makes developers' lives easier. But that doesn't matter to me because I can just keep duct taping over the problem. But mm -hmm. what, what about developing some kind of a killer application that finally forces people to move because either their user base is so um, frustrated by the lack of movement there that they feel like they need to move, or you run into a situation where uh, something that I had posited many years ago, what if uh, a video streaming service releases uh, 4K or 8K streaming, but it's only available over V6 set-top boxes? Is that going to be enough to, to push enterprise networking to say, we've got to have this, we need to build support in for this? This is the downside of it being largely transparent. The enterprises who have it and use it, only a few people really know they have it and use it. I think there's also a case for uh, countries and looking at it globally that are natively running IPv6 as an internet provider. What if I, as an enterprise, want to provide services to users or, or customers in that said country? Then I'm going to have to run IPv6 or some other Band-Aid uh, to get them services. And I'm tired of, I'm tired of running Band-Aids on the network. I am tired of NAT. I hate NAT. It's been a Band-Aid for so long, right? How do we get rid of the Band-Aid and eventually until customers and enterprises and engineers, we start ripping that Band-Aid off, we're just holding ourselves back, I think, to Jody's point. Mm -hmm. 
the thing is we will need it and we don't want to need it now. We want it that when someone needs it, we've already got the plan in the filing cabinet. Even if we haven't implemented any of it, we've got the plan. We know how we're going to do it. Problem is if someone needs it now and we don't have the plan, then we implement it badly. And that's going to cost a lot. All right. So I want you, all three of you, to put your uh, administration hat on for a moment. You know, most of you already are administrators. I want you to come to me as the CIO individually, and I want you to make the case as to why we should deploy IPv6. I want you to make me believe it. And I'm going to start with you, Ben. Make me believe why my enterprise needs IPv6. Um, well, I, I think the, the biggest point for your, your business going forward is that you have to be there, for, you have the connectivity to everywhere. And eventually, as the IPv4 shortage, you know, is, is here, we're, it's gone, the price to provide those services IPv4 is going to go up. And so companies that we deal with, especially cloud providers, which we're putting more and more of our um, services into are going to say, I'm sorry, but there are no IPv4 addresses for your service. So it's going to have to be IPv6. And if our internal network can't speak that, then we won't be able to speak to our own applications. Jody, why do I need IPv6? For Microsoft shop. We use Microsoft services. Microsoft services are only supported on IPv6. If we're running exclusively IPv4, then we're entirely on our own. And when we need help, Microsoft's going to turn around and say, why don't you have your IPv6 turned on? And then we're totally on our own as how we're going to get this fixed. That extends downtimes to from hours, possibly to days. And just lost salaries from that. Not something we want to consider. Very fair point. Josh, why does this enterprise network need IPv6? It needs IPv6 because I want to put stuff in the cloud and there are things that only run on IPv6 in the cloud. Um, from a microservices standpoint, uh, it's much easier to connect natively than it is to put in a bunch of Band-Aids. Uh, so we need it because it's going to be cheaper in the long run. So we might as well spend the money now and go ahead and get it done and do it right and not be reactive in that spend. So they're all valid points. And I love the fact that each of you took something a little bit different, whether it's universal connectivity or support or possibly even getting to the cloud and making sure that everything works the way we want it to. And ultimately, I think that that's the, the secret behind IPv6. Implementing technology for the sake of technology does us very little good. When Steve Jobs deployed the very first iPhone on stage, we didn't want it because it was just a super expensive cell phone. It didn't even flip. But now look at us. The iPhone and other devices that are similar to it have essentially changed the way that we do things because it was a technologically superior solution that we ultimately found a way to integrate into our daily lives. And as each of our luminaries has mentioned, finding a way to transparently integrate IPv6 into the services that we use will essentially force adoption of the service because people won't have any other choice if they want to be able to go on about what they're doing. And the iPhone is actually a perfect example of this because Apple requires IPv6 support for application, even if you're not using it, because they want to be able to transparently turn it on one of these days when eventually we decide we want to run out of IPv4 addresses. 
All right, that should just about do it for this episode of the Gestalt IT On-Premise IT Roundtable. Thank you very much for joining us today. We hope you found this discussion enlightening. Um, and if you're still ready to leave a comment about how we're wrong, please feel free to do so either here or you could possibly even log into iTunes and leave us a rating and a review on the iTunes store where you can find our podcast. Uh, the reviews really help people kind of understand what we talk about here and hopefully pick up a few more listeners. If you have podcast ideas or topics, perhaps some premises that you would like us to cover, please make sure to tweet at Gestalt IT with your premise and we will take a look at it. Uh, every episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable is published on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast, as well as on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. We uh, hope that you take a look at those, uh, watch some of our older episodes, and maybe you can come up with an idea that we can't wait to talk about. But until the next episode, for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for our guests, and for the rest of the Gestalt IT family, thanks for listening.